So have you ever been distressed? Have you ever been severely anxious about something, severely worried about something? Every news outlet all over the world is, is reporting and noting that there are some people who are, are in unique distress right now. People who feel lost and, and bitter, betrayed, confused. Things are, are shaping in a way that, that they are not certain about. There's change that has come that they weren't prepared for. There's distress in people's minds. And of course, I'm talking about Toblerone chocolate. In case you didn't know this, Toblerone chocolate has, has made huge changes, and it's caused distress in people's lives. Toblerone is known for their long candy bars and triangle-shaped, and, and the company is said to, to keep costs down so they can keep the candy bars on the shelf. They are going to be making them smaller from now on. Now, Tobleroners, loyal to their chocolate, are kind of upset about this. In fact, they've gone on social media and, and began to post their thoughts. Here's just a few of the comments that have been made. Daniel says this, Toblerone, I'm one of your biggest fans, but I bought a Toblerone earlier only to be left upset, disappointed, and a little distressed. In fact, I felt cheated on a tad in a way that they are now spaced out so much, losing out on Toblerone goodness. I'm upset, Toblerone. I'm sorry, but I really am. Diana says this, Toblerone has been part of my family tradition for Christmas and any celebration. But we won't be buying it until it returns to normal. It feels like we are being cheated. We must have spent hundreds every year on Toblerone. I'm sad as it has emotional memory for me. <laughs> Bless her heart. Graham, he, he's not playing. Graham says this, Well, I never thought I'd see the day when this happened. I hope sales plummet and shares go that way too. Greed, greed, greed. But now, Stuart, he, he's got an answer for the whole thing. This is what he writes. This is easy. I won't buy them, and I suggest you all do the same. In the face of falling sales, they will reverse the decision. It is the only power we have. <laughs> the only power problem I have when it comes to chocolate is the willpower to walk away. Just walk away. Now, I realize that the Tobleroners are discouraged. But I would probably encourage them, in light of all the things that are happening in the world, maybe they need to refrain from using the word distressed over chocolate. But you know, the Toblerone's aren't the only ones misusing their distress. We are entering a season of the year where many of us, on many days, will find ourselves distressed about many things. We'll be distressed over the cost of Christmas lights at the home improvement store. We might be distressed over the estimate from the post office of when our package is actually going to arrive. We might be distressed on the, the weight that we have for a table at the restaurant. We might be distressed over the weight that we have for a, a fresh pan of a sweet potato souffle down at the country buffet. We might be distressed over a lot of different things distressed on why the grocery store is running out of eggnog, distressed on why the toy store is running out of Furbies and Trolls. Yes, we will find ourselves in the weeks to come. You laugh, but you will do it. 
We will be distressed over many things, all of us, things that we don't need to be distressed over, things that will rattle us, things that would probably cause our great-great-grandparents to just shake their heads that we would be so worried about things that aren't that important. But there is one thing that every person does need to be distressed over. There is a distress that every single one of us desperately need. In fact, it's the kind of distress that is a matter of life or death. Not life or death, generally speaking, for our bodies, but life and death for our very souls. What kind of distress is that? Well, Jesus is going to answer that question for us. Listen to Luke 12, verse 10. This is what Jesus says. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. There needs to be serious, sober, unnerving, uncomfortable distress when it comes to the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to kind of understand what this means, we might want to get some answers to a couple other questions here. So what is blasphemy? And who is the Holy Spirit? Well, let's start with the Spirit. Just a few Bible facts about the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's mentioned about 90 times. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is mentioned about 250 times. He is a divine person. He is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and and God the Holy Spirit. So, So he is, in essence, God. It is who he is. He grieves He intercedes, he creates, he speaks. This is the the nature of what we know about the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus gives a real-life, practical purpose for the Holy Spirit that matters to me and you every single day. About an hour before he was arrested and eventually taken away and crucified outside of Jerusalem, Jesus was talking to his closest friends, and this is what he said to them. John chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus knew that his friends were about to have a really hard time. He knew that after he was arrested, that they were going to be afraid, they were going to be worried, they were going to be helpless, and they were going to be defenseless. Have you ever felt that way? in life before? Afraid, worried, helpless, defenseless? Jesus wanted to encourage his friends. And so he tells them that a great night is coming. He's waiting. Can't wait to get there to to fight for them and be with them in their hour of greatest need. And who is that great night? Well, the great night is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus refers to him here as the Helper. So how does the Holy Spirit help? Well, the Holy Spirit, according to how Jesus speaks, he helps us see Jesus. Well, how does he help us see Jesus? Well, he shows us the truth of the gospel. He helps us see that we actually need to be saved. That there is no truth in the you're okay, I'm okay, and everybody's okay. We actually need to be saved. 
See, we can preach and we can pray and we can persuade and we can plead, but at the end of the day, only the Holy Spirit can quicken a person's heart to believe the truth of the gospel. Only the Holy Spirit can make the truth about Jesus penetrate into a person's heart and mind and soul. And so that kind of makes the Holy Spirit a, a gigantically important person, right? See, there is no salvation apart from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, the helper, is the one who brings the truth of salvation to the heart and soul of a person. We need the Holy Spirit. See, if you're a Christian, the only reason that you are a Christian is because the helper helped you see the truth of the gospel. The helper helped you repent after you saw that truth. John Newton put it this way, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. See, if you're a Christian, you see because the helper found you and the helper made you see and the helper allowed you to see the glory and the love and the mercy and the grace of the gospel, the grace and salvation of Jesus. So that's just kind of a snapshot of the Holy Spirit. So what about blasphemy? What is blasphemy? Well, let's kind of answer that by saying what it's not. Blasphemy is not using the Lord's name in vain with foul language. Blasphemy is not throwing rotten tomatoes at the Pope's motorcade. Blasphemy is not spray painting graffiti on the front door of a church. Blasphemy is not putting a dirty coffee mug on top of your Bible on the counter. Blasphemy is not screaming bah humbug at Christmas dinner. Now, I would encourage you to do any of those things. They're not good things. In fact, some of those things will, will throw you in the slammer. Or at the very least, it will cause your grandma to slam her hand on the table or, or maybe upside your head. So those aren't good things. In fact, those things, at the very least, give off a non-heavenly aroma around your life. So those are not things to pursue. But the kind of blasphemy that Jesus is talking about here is more strategic. It's, it's more serious than just something that, that we might say once or twice or, or even more than that, or something we might think or do once or twice or even more than that. Now, the blasphemy that Jesus is referring to against the Holy Spirit is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. Rejecting His truth. Rejecting His help. Rejecting His invitation. Rejecting His offer of salvation. It's a deep rejection of the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? What does it look like to reject the Holy Spirit? Well, I've often told you, remember when you look at a Bible verse, look at it in the, the big picture of the whole Bible. How does it fit in with the whole Bible? But I've also encouraged you to remember to look at that verse in its own neighborhood. What's happening in the neighborhood of verses where it is? So we are currently on the 12th Street of Luke. We're looking at the houses along the, the 12th Street of Luke. But what happened back over on the 11th Street? Well, a few hours or maybe even a few days before this, Jesus cast a demon out of a man. There was a, a real, real true demon that was possessing someone, and, and Jesus made that ambassador of Satan. He forced him out of the heart and the mind and the body and the soul of a man. And the people that were standing around, they couldn't believe it. They were stunned. They were shocked. 
What they saw was amazing. They knew it was supernatural, and they didn't have any explanation for it. But not everybody was amazed. There were some people that were standing there that day, and, and they were good, devoted, religious, church-going people. They were known as the Pharisees. And when they saw Jesus do something supernatural that was hard to explain, they had a different response. This is what the Pharisees said. He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, this isn't the first time that the Pharisees had been around Jesus. They had seen him love people. They had seen him serve people. They had seen him do supernatural things more than once. They had heard him preach and teach more than once. In fact, they knew that the things that he was preaching and teaching were very consistent with the prophecies about the Messiah, the Prince of the Most High God. The prophecies that they believed in, the prophecies that they memorized, the prophecies that they were telling other people, this is what's most important. They knew that what Jesus said matched those prophecies. But from the deepest part of their conscience, they looked at Jesus and they said, no. No, you are not the Messiah. You are not the Prince of Peace. You are not the Holy One of God. We clearly hear your message, and we clearly and boldly reject it. You are a secret agent of the devil. That's blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. You see, blasphemy in the, the Holy Spirit, we, we hear it as the unpardonable sin, the, the unforgivable sin. And Jesus is saying that is very true. That's exactly right. And why is it without pardon? Why can it not be forgiven? Because it is a sinful, rebellious, determined, hardened attitude of rejection toward Jesus. Rejection of the gospel. Rejection of the help of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be pardoned. Now, contrary to modern thought, this is a little different. Because in modern culture, the notion is everybody can go to heaven. All roads lead to karma. All roads lead to nirvana. All roads lead to God. All roads lead to heaven. But Jesus talks very differently about that. This is what Jesus says in John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one. No one. Not your kind waitress. Not your encouraging teacher. Not your motivating coach. Not your successful boss. Not your cool pastor. Come on. Yeah. Harold, that was your amen point. Come on. Not Billy Graham. Not Beth Moore, not Donald Trump, not Hillary Clinton, not your favorite athlete, not your favorite movie star, not your hardworking parents, not your sweet grandmother, and not you. No one, no one gets right with God except through Jesus. No one gets to the one true God of the universe, full of love and justice and wrath and mercy and perfection and hope and peace. No one gets to that God except through Jesus. No one gets to heaven except through Jesus. No one lives happily ever after, after death, 
except through Jesus. No one. So if you reject the gospel, if you reject the the truth of the gospel, you are rejecting the salvation that Jesus and only Jesus can offer. So if you are rejecting the salvation that only Jesus can offer, then you are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you've had a time in your life where you thought you've been distressed because maybe you thought, man, I, I hope I didn't commit the unpardonable sin. If you've ever thought that, then just know this, that means you haven't. Because people who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, they don't get distressed about it. It doesn't bother them. The Pharisees that day, all the things they said about Jesus, when they got home that night, they didn't feel bad about it. No, they they were proud of their attitude. And they took their attitude beyond name-calling to eventually putting together a huge, gigantic, big political protest that led to the arrest and the execution of Jesus. No, they didn't back off at all. But what if one of them had? What if one of them did? What if Stan the Pharisee got home that night and he was making a a bowl of ice cream before he went to bed and he's dipping out the ice cream and, and he begins to think back over the events of the day and he remembers the things that Jesus was teaching and he remembers the things that he said about Jesus. And then suddenly something, something roars into his mind. And his hands start shaking. He, he drops the ice cream scoop on the floor. He starts feeling a little dizzy, puts his hand on the counter, and the next thing you know he feels like he's going to be sick. And he can't feel his legs underneath him, and he, and he drops to the floor. And he finds himself weeping all of a sudden, and he's distressed. And with his fists, he begins to, to beat his chest And he cries out as if his life depends on it. Oh, God, please have mercy on me. Oh, God, please save me. What have I done? God, please, please hear my cry. You know what would happen in that moment? He would no longer be committing the unpardonable sin. Why? Listen to the first thing that Jesus said. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. The unpardonable sin is only unpardonable as long as a person is clinging to it. Is it easy for a person to quit clinging? No. Is it easy for a person who's blaspheming against the Holy Spirit to just suddenly stop? No, it's not. This is what Jesus said about the wealthy. Luke 18, verse 25. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So if it's that difficult for someone with great wealth and great money and great possessions to say, I'm not going to put my primary hope and peace in these things. I'm going to put my primary hope and peace in Jesus. If it's that hard for a rich man, imagine how hard it would be for someone who is rejecting Jesus by saying he's a fool and he's probably working for Satan. It'd be hard. But if Stan the Pharisee or if any man or any woman or any boy or any girl were to repent and turn 
to Jesus, then they would no longer be blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they'd no longer be rejecting him. They wouldn't be rejecting the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't be rejecting his truth. They wouldn't be rejecting his help. They wouldn't be rejecting his invitation. They wouldn't be rejecting his offering of salvation. They would quit fighting. They would quit rejecting. And they would turn to God. Let me just ask you to do something just just for a moment. I want you to not think about lunch. Don't want you to think about sports this afternoon or or whatever else you have to be at later today. Don't think about the test at school this week. Don't think about the project at work. Don't think about your doctor's appointment. Don't think about the bill for your property taxes. Just, just for a moment, don't, don't think on those things. And just, just for just a couple of seconds, just marinate for your heart on this simple question. Have you truly quit rejecting the Holy Spirit? Have you heard the gospel and, and received the gospel? Have you, have you really turned to Jesus? Have you had this, this help, this invitation from the Holy Spirit to your heart, to your mind that says Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life, and you haven't believed that because it's cute, but you believed it in desperation that you needed it? Have you quit rejecting the Holy Spirit? Or when it comes to eternity, When it comes to life after death, are you banking at all on the fact that that you're a good family man or that you're a hard worker or that you're a devoted mother or that you're a great cook? Are you basing it all on the fact that you're a pretty regular attender at church or or maybe a pastor or an elder or a deacon or, or maybe a volunteer for mission work or maybe a volunteer in the community? If that's where your hope is, if that's where your peace is, if you're hanging anything on that, then we would plead with you to know there's no hope in those things when it comes to eternity. The only hope is found in Jesus, and so we would plead with you to come to him. Listen again to what Jesus says. Four words, they're amazing. It will be forgiven. He didn't just say that in Luke 12 a long time ago. He's still saying it to me and to you today. It will be forgiven. The Apostle Paul was a fantastic, devoted church leader. And while he was a fantastic, devoted church leader, he was lost and dead in his sins. He was persecuting Christians. He was throwing them in jail. He was standing over them with arrogant approval as they were executed because they were followers of Jesus. But then something happened. He had a stand the Pharisee moment. Something something changed. And years later, he was writing about it. This is your before you carve the turkey Thanksgiving Bible verse. This is what you read to your family, hopefully with great hope that it's true for you. This is what he writes, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul's unbelief, it was radical and it was arrogant. He definitely fell into that that category of of true blasphemy against the gospel. 
your unbelief may not be radical and arrogant like Paul's. Your unbelief may be casual. You may be rejecting Jesus really casual. You may even profess to be a Christian, and yet you have tons of unbelief in your life. The gospel's not real except in this room. But your unbelief, even if it's casual, it's still real. It's still rejection. It's still arrogant. It's still against the Lord. There's no way to run away from that. And so whether it's radical or casual, we would again plead with you to know that there is love and mercy and grace from God. And we would call you to turn to Jesus and to follow him. I think sometimes we forget the truth of what's happening in our lives. We forget the truth of how gracious God's been to us, how often he comes to us with faith for us to have. Sometimes we reject it just because we're too busy. Sometimes we reject it because we just don't care. But regardless, I would love for you not to miss what Paul's saying. Don't miss his reminiscing. He says, you know, when I I look back, I realize I was a devoted, religious, arrogant blasphemer. When I look back, I was on a Christian witch hunt all the time trying to get him. I was public enemy number one to Jesus. That was his story. But then his story changed. This is what he writes next. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. More than abundant. Listen, the grace of Jesus is more than abundant, and you fill in the blank. Whatever whatever it is that's happening in your life, the grace of Jesus is more than abundant. The love of Jesus is more than abundant. The mercy of Jesus is more than abundant. The forgiveness of Jesus is more than abundant. Maybe you are puffed up right now with pride. Just lots of arrogance. And there's somebody you need to forgive and you refuse to do it. I want you to know that the grace of Jesus, even the fact that you're breathing right now, the grace of Jesus has been more than abundant to you. And especially if you're a believer, let the abundant grace of Jesus work through you to forgive others. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, there is no way I could ever be forgiven. There's some certain sin that you're dealing with. There's some certain sin in your life, and you're convinced that forgiveness can't find you in a way that you would really feel it. I want you to know that the grace of Jesus is more than abundant. Jeff Thomas writes this, We have an enemy of our souls, Satan, who carries his chains around, and he troubles us. Compared to God, of course, he is a weakling. All he can do is tell us cunning lies to steal our peace. He says this. He's like the school bully who'd like to beat you up but dare not touch you because your best friend is the strongest boy in the school and you are always close to him. It's like that with us and Jesus. As long as we cling to our friend and Savior, then the weakest Christian is a thousand times stronger than Satan. Can we just own that for a moment? As long as we cling to our friend and Savior, then the weakest Christian is a thousand times stronger than Satan. 
And then he writes this. This makes the devil very cross. And so he tempts and tries you by making you think that Jesus no longer loves you because of some sin or other of yours. He suggests the Lord has stopped loving you because you did that nasty thing. And he can't forgive you for that. And that is the source of the feeling that you are the man in the iron cage. And then he says this, but it does not come from God. He does not tempt us to despair. That's not what God does. God sent his son to rescue us from the darkest dark. God sent his son to rescue us from the kind of despair that damns us for all eternity. That's what God does. And then God sent his helper so that we would see the truth about Jesus, that we would see that he really is the way and the truth and the life, and there is no other. That's what God does. And so let me encourage you this week. I know it's cute. I know it's funny. I've heard it more in the last few weeks, maybe. I don't know if it's been around in a few years or not. Can I just encourage you, don't, don't celebrate Friendsgiving this week. It's cute, but you know what it does? It's that little mild way of getting us to ignore God. Because when you take thanks and put in friend, you just lost the concept of what we need to be on a daily basis. And so I would encourage you, celebrate Thanksgiving this Thursday. And celebrate Thanksgiving this Wednesday. And celebrate Thanksgiving this Tuesday. And celebrate Thanksgiving tomorrow. And celebrate Thanksgiving today. And all the days of your life, fight with everything that you have to be thankful for the fact that God has made a way through the Helper for you to be found and no longer lost. That God has has made a way for you to no longer be blind, but to actually see and to know the truth about Jesus. That God has made a way for you not to be a blasphemer, but to be a worshiper and to be a partaker in forgiveness. True, eternal, everlasting forgiveness. God has made a way for you to be free. I pray that you always be thankful in that.